1: and welcome to another episode of Driving Law with Kyla Lee and Paul Doroshenko of Acumen Law Corporation. Hello. (laughs) Hi, Paul. Uh, How are you doing today?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Good. Having a good day.
1: Yeah, me too. Um, So, I don't know if you saw the news recently, but there is a crisis in Australia.
0: A crisis and it's usually a drought or forest fires or maybe uh you know kangaroo
1: uh, boxing g- yeah
0: no, i was thinking rabid kangaroos <laughs> or something like that i don't know grasshoppers uh,
1: boomerang won't come back
0: did the redo problem or
1: <laughs> sorry to all of australia <laughs> Boom- boomerang,
0: boomerang won't come back boomerang won't come back you know that that's song? great that's hilarious no
1: oh i'll play it for you after okay um no in australia they have random breath testing yes which the senate has removed from c46 as you know and jody wilson's going to be putting it back into c40 wilson
0: raybold let's give her a full name she is the justice minister you keep calling her jody wilson as jody wilson raybold
1: i okay jody wilson raybold I, I won't get into my
0: why don't we just say the federal government
1: Sure. The federal government, they're going to put it back. But before they do that, they should probably look at what has happened in Australia. Yeah. Over 200,000, I think it's 278,000 breath tests faked by Australian police.
0: Yeah. So there's a quota. They had a quota and the police officers were required to fulfill their quota in their system that we want to uh, adopt in Canada, which is uh, uh, anybody can be compelled to provide a breath sample into a roadside breath tester at any time without any uh at the police officer's whim essentially and so what they decided to do in australia you know after they got that law in place as we're looking at having that law in place in canada was to set up quotas for police officers to Uh, numbers that they had to meet
1: because historically quotas have worked so well with policing
0: oh i know i know and it's just you know the quotas it doesn't matter where it is it makes people so cynical of the police
1: Mm -hmm. as soon as you hear that word quota or rewards yeah quota or rewards people are like oh you know you're just you're you're just faking this and australia is proving that for people um I think the thing that concerns me most about it, though, is the real shoddy investigation into it. The We know the police were lying about it because they've admitted, yeah, we faked a bunch of these. But what they've said is they were just rapidly blowing into one after the other and just trying to get the numbers on the devices. And I'll buy it.
0: Um. I think that's probably true, what, um I, I think they probably were doing that. I think their police officers don't feel like pulling over anybody over. They're just sitting there in their car, blowing into their roadside breath tester over and over and over to try and get those numbers up. But really, like how many police officers are lying? Yeah. They've been lying. All of this is a lie each time they are deceiving their employer and the public and they're, they're doing it to actively lie. and, and mm-hmm. what, what happens to the credibility? Yeah. Of and all of those police officers. Are you
1: going to get like what we have here, McNeil disclosure, where you have an officer who's been involved in something like this, there would be a disciplinary action. There would be a record created of it, of falsifying evidence, fabricating statistics, et cetera, et cetera. And that would be disclosed in a criminal trial. Is that going to like hamper criminal prosecutions?
0: One would think that it would. It's interesting. You know, when I started practicing, I was really, really luck- reluctant to, uh, to, to, say a police officer lied and and older police officers would you know take absolute offense that you would suggest that a police officer has ever lied and i you know I understand that they emphasize that obligation of honesty to them I get it but man oh man you know the more we dig the more we find you're to the point now where you just cannot deceive yourself about that anymore there's police officers are is as dishonest everybody general else general public was, yeah you know
1: that's what's from house right that tv show yeah. um everybody lies and the police do too there's you know it's not even intentional lying some of the time it's it's unintentional exaggeration you see it in cross examination where you know in the direct examination it's slightly slurred and then they come back after the break and it's it's grossly slurred and then in cross examination i could barely understand what he said and you're like okay well come on you You're exaggerating. You're
0: thinking today about this decision we got this morning. I went to court this morning for Kyla because she was uh, scheduled to be in another courthouse and I was getting a decision in a pretty heavy-duty, impaired driving case and I was there to get the decision on the voir dire. So that's the trial within the trial to determine the admissibility of evidence that is questioned whether or not it was obtained in a manner that's uh, constitutionally valid. And uh, Kyla won every... Uh, charter argument in that case, which was fascinating for me to listen to it because the, um, you know, the police officer uh, obviously had some problems with (laughs) the evidence that he gave after the cross-examination for Kyla. It's always interesting for me to watch Kyla's trials because it's, uh, she gets out more than anybody I've ever seen, but the...
1: But see, but if, you know, you said early in your career you were so scared to call a police officer a liar... You have to do that.
0: No, I know, I know. Now you do, and uh, but we were sort of trained that you're not supposed to do it. When well, I, know. I was a I lawyer. Was, I, was I was trained, was taught not
1: that to, in know. law school. You know, you don't call someone a liar, but 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 you do. You have to. And I mean, even the Supreme Court of Canada decision in, in the Groya case. Um, oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right? Yeah. They talk yeah. about
1: advancing. Every possible argument, as zealously as you're permitted to do within your ethical confines, to to make every um, answer and defense available to your client, which includes accusing the other side or the police of misconduct where it's appropriate to bring those allegations. Well,
0: you made every argument possible in this one. I went for the decision for you today, and you you won <laughs> you won every argument. And uh, I know the prosecutor was very confident about his case. You, and you knock me kind
1: of... for my shotgun approach, Paul, but no, I'm hundred percent. I, I'll
0: tell you, I was, uh, you
1: with know, me.
0: as you know, I was trained to do the, uh, pick one issue. And if you lose that issue, well, that's too bad. You know, you can tell your client they lost their case. Uh, I never liked that approach. My method was, uh, you know, I early on realized that the shotgun approach was better and I would, mm-hmm. uh, had a greater desire to, to, uh, pick a number of issues and it's amazing. Like sometimes you pick something that you don't think is going to be the main issue mm-hmm. uh, and then it just happens to stick. The judge it might be the, the one thing that's bothered them their entire legal career.
1: That case we had in Kamloops where I think the one line in the decision says, despite the wide-ranging approach taken by Mr. Doroshenko.
0: Yeah, but we won.
1: We won. Yeah. We won on one issue yeah. that had clearly bothered that judge.
0: Yeah, and it wasn't something that uh, that I thought was necessarily the, the, no, the big was, winner. Yeah, yeah but... I know. I know I've had that... Here in Richmond Provincial Court, there was uh, one day that I I had you know three issues. I thought they were, I thought they were all good issues, uh, but the third issue was kind of the weakest issue, uh, and the judge I had just picked up on the third issue and he went away and came back and acquitted my client after uh, you know fifteen minutes of thinking about it, um, you know. So yeah. Right.
1: But I I want to get back to this situation in Australia because. It's so troubling to me, and I I don't think I'm as sympathetic to them as you are. I mean, you say that you think, yeah, they're probably just faking it, but if there are hundreds or even dozens of police officers who are doing the rapid succession blowing, it stands to reason that there's at least one out there who is faking the results of a test to have grounds to arrest somebody or to, to say that they failed and give them some type of administrative prohibition or to penalize them.
0: I don't think that Australian police officers are vastly different than British Columbia police officers. Well, then. We have no, you know, in their roadside breath testers that they're using, they are connected to a computer. They're Mm -hmm. probably using the AlcoSensor 5 uh, or something like that that can be connected to a computer to see how many tests have been conducted. We are not. We have no indication of what the actual reading was. You do not know. You can get
1: that, though. It's stored in the AlcoSensor FST.
0: Well, it may be in the FST that they're, the DWFFST that they're using here in BC, but I haven't seen it. Uh, we'd have to talk to, we should talk to, uh, to Darth Radar there, yeah, Grant Patrol, and see what he says about it. But uh, I've never, I haven't seen that in the manuals. But in any event, you have no paper record mm-hmm. and you are disclosed no record of what your
1: yeah, you result were, whether whether it was the a fail or officer war- putting his hand on the Bible and saying, no, 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 it was a fail. It's not good enough for me.
0: Yeah. No, you don't know, especially when you know that apparently hundreds it. <laughs> hundreds or maybe thousands of Australian police officers have just been faking it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I And I, I
0: have I have had circumstances where I firmly believe the police officer was lying about the results on the tester, but you know, what can you do? They check a box. In B C in B C everybody, all the police officer has to do is check a box
1: one check mark and you are done, done which yeah. is it, and and no ability to challenge that that's you no, cross cross, examination. no cross no cross-examination yeah. yeah. and they're required to submit a sworn report um which we know from historical precedent and future cases i'm sure we'll have is not a very good example of sworn evidence and if i had stuff like that in court i would have a lot more fun than i had in this trial
0: well it's not just the uh, it's not just the the i mean we see Cases where the police officers are using basically the same report over and over and mm-hmm. then swearing it, you know, I, I don't think any of them turn their mind to the obligation of swearing it. And they, I'm not knocking all police officers here. There's lots of really good police officers who are doing their best I'd say the every day. The majority are yep.
1: good, nice people Decent, who are trying to, trying to be trying honest. to be
0: honest. Yeah, and uh, it's harmful and hurtful for them yeah. uh, that other police officers do this.
1: I think, though, that there's sort of these, like, blue-coloured glasses, though, that they get. They, you know, they know how hard they're trying to be honest and, and truthful and do it right. They know how much it was drilled into them, either at the Justice Institute or in Depot. And I think that a lot of the people who feel that way think that everybody else feels that way and acts that way, too. And I don't think they even realize that there are some police officers out there who are not telling the truth
0: yeah but if you get some of the older guys you know (laughs) pull them over and talk to them privately they have a very good idea about who's honest and who's not and it's unfortunate that uh uh, you know it's it's just a fact of life
1: yeah. and anyway. I mean you get that in any in any field you probably have the dishonest interior decorators oh my god it's gonna be chartreuse but turns out it's lime
0: I'm colorblind so <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't you know the care? difference <laughs> I, I just only realized recently how uh it's it's a disability you know it's funny because I there's, there's uh, a lot of things that I just cannot you start tell. a
1: coalition for the colorblind
0: yeah nobody um nobody would yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I guess the thing is that most people don't think of it that way. And so they don't realize that it is a disability. But I, Well, you always that I,
1: tell me that you think the world's so much more beautiful through your
0: more subtle, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm missing, uh, maybe missing out on everything. It may be just a very dull world for me.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, everything is candy-colored and gumdrops for me. Lots
0: of things that are um, <laughs> no. that other people tell me are pink, and I think they're beige. And uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah, we 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 have issues with your colorblindness often.
0: 19 uh, cars from the early 1970s. It's very hard for me to give you a, a, an actual name for that color, the colors as on them. As
1: far as I'm concerned, all cars from the early 1970s are the same color, so you're oh, not missing anything okay. there. I
0: hope yeah. they're all beige.
1: They're all kind of like a beige brown.
0: Yeah, that's when actually my family figured yeah. it out that I was colorblind. It was before I was even in school. I was, you know, they were pointing at a car and I was saying, oh, that, that beige car? And i were like, no, that's a green car or whatever. <laughs> anyway, my colorblindness, not part of driving law, but it is related to cars.
1: Yes, okay. That's how we well, learned. That's see, how I learned I was colorblind. Colorblindness and driving. And when, and
0: when I started driving, everybody would talk about uh, amber light and the green light. Uh, you know, red light, amber light, green light. Of course, that's the way traffic lights work. But I
1: thought you can see the difference, though.
0: I see the red lights. Um, and in the nineteen late 1980s, they changed up the colors of the lights to make them more intense. Right. Uh, but when I started driving, when I was 16, it was uh, there was a red light and then those other two lights. And... <laughs>
1: You just had and, to guess <laughs>
0: Well green lights would guess get mixed with the street lights and right. so lots of times I, if I didn't know where the intersection was, I wouldn't know that that was a street light if it was a green light until the thing turned red and then I was like oh shoot there's an intersection there
1: Okay, I can see why they would replace them then
0: Yeah, they made them more intense, thank goodness.
1: Okay well um, there's... but I still
0: don't see them as green they're not really green to me kind of just illuminated lightness.
1: I wonder if you could, like, bring a charter challenge to an amber light ticket or a red light ticket for a colorblind person, arguing that ticketing them for proceeding through a light violated their right to be free from discrimination on the basis of disability.
0: But if it's red?
1: I spend too much time on this. Well, let's see, I guess. I mean, it's it's the whole issue of strict versus absolute liability.
0: Probably if... uh, if you made, if that, you if you made that argument and it were successful, probably the um, the province would come and revoke every colorblind person's driver's license. For, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the, so no the thanks. More
1: harm than good. No,
0: thank you. No, thank you. I like to drive. We uh, like to drive. Like. Driving law with okay. Kyla Lee and Paul Doroshenko.
1: <laughs> there is no uh, good way to pivot to the next issue, but I thought it might be nice for the listeners to know a little bit about something that we're about to know a lot. More about, and that's blood testing in impaired driving cases.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because people, this is one of the regular things. Kylo was on a uh, call in show the other day. It was early Saturday morning. Which show was it? It was on CKW, yeah, I think.
1: Um... It was on uh, the Jill Bennett show, but I wasn't talking to Jill Bennett. I was talking to Sterling Fox because okay. he was filling in. He's
0: great. He had actually he's, some yeah. pretty good. He's he's a, got the best voice for he's radio. Got a great voice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have a very good voice for radio, too. Oh, the, base, uh, yeah,
1: bass voice. Yeah, too. I think
0: that's why I like to. <laughs> um, in any event, the um, one of the callers um, called in, and he sounded like he was uh, Eastern European, which is. Typically, the people who ask this question, because in much of Europe you can demand a blood test, but he said, "You know, I should be able to just demand to have my blood tested rather than a breath test." Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a question that we get regularly. Like, why? Time. Why shouldn't I just be able to go down and provide my blood? And and people, you know, we have two different things. Um, you know, Americans think that they can just refuse the roadside breath tester in the states called a PBT. Uh, portable breath tester, uh, which you can just refuse. You refuse the PBT.
1: In some states, they're bringing, yeah. they're slowly bringing in refusal laws, and they've been found constitutionally valid. So oh, I,
0: I know it's coming. But the um, so there's a lot of Americans think that, and there's lots of Europeans think that they can just demand to provide a blood sample. Such as they do in Germany and, uh, and many uh, European countries.
1: Yeah, and you get people here, like a lot of our refusal clients, and it's like, I'll give you a blood sample instead. You can take me to the hospital, take me to the station, take my blood. It's more reliable, man. It's, well, first of all, it's not.
0: Yeah, um, well, but that's,
1: not, that's next week's podcast. <laughs> none of
0: it's reliable, but in any event, yeah. So, Kyla, explain so everybody knows what happens. You know, can you demand for them to take your blood.
1: No, you cannot demand for them to take your blood. Currently in Canada, the police don't even take your blood. If you are arrested for impaired driving and they do have the right to take your blood, and we'll get into that um, situation, but even if they do, under the criminal code, the only people who can actually extract the blood from your body is a qualified technician, which is like a lab technician, or the person who would do it at a hospital generally, under the supervision of a qualified medical practitioner, so a doctor.
0: Or, or nurse, I think. Yeah, it. or oh, a nurse, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. So
1: essentially you have the police officer makes the demand for the blood sample or gets a warrant for a blood sample, which never happens. Like I don't think I've ever had a blood warrant case. I've never had a blood warrant yeah. case, no. Um, but they they do that, and then they tell the doctor who directs somebody at the hospital to take the blood out of you.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, practically speaking, the only time that it happens is if you're in the hospital and you're otherwise incapable of uh, providing a breath sample.
1: Yeah, and it um, can be a- incapability sort of generally um, in cases where you've been in a collision and your injuries are such that you need medical treatment, but I have seen cases. Um, we had that one in North Vancouver where... the the individual was so intoxicated they couldn't blow and so they did blood. Yeah. And so it does happen rarely in those cases.
0: It is infrequent. So you you, of course they can uh, the police are entitled in certain circumstances if they have the grounds to make a demand that you provide a sample of your breath to determine the concentration of alcohol if any in your body. Um, And you can uh, turn around and uh, if you demand that your blood be taken they just ignore it yeah uh you can you can say all sorts of stupid things when you're there dealing with the police uh but that's not but one don't, that will... don't say anything I prefer you say nothing um absolutely nothing except your name your address where you live and where you work
1: date of birth
0: um identification information and nothing else and uh even then uh not right away but in any event not until after you've talked to a lawyer um well you're required to at the roadside yeah. to give those things that's but if don't under, give incorrectly. if you're under here. arrest yeah uh, then uh, you know Ask to speak to a lawyer before you do anything else. But in any event, you cannot; uh, they will not respond to any demand that you take blood, and it provides you with absolutely zero defense for a refusal Mm -hmm. or anything else uh, that you offered to take your to to have your blood taken. All of these people, well, they shouldn't have.
1: But there, you know, there is a body of case law though that says that the offer to provide a blood sample. Um, could be considered as evidence of of willingness to participate in a process and innocence where there's other evidence to show that there was, like, a reasonable excuse or that the officer, like, if you have a conflict in the evidence, the officer said, oh, I smelled liquor, and the person said, I hadn't had anything to drink at all.
0: Now you're making it convoluted.
1: I am, yes, but that's... Uh, what I'm me. telling you. Yeah. Don't don't do that though.
0: Don't say, oh, I'll provide a blood sample because they're not gonna. It's not gonna get you anywhere. The likelihood no. of it being useful for you is basically zero. Uh, you know, just ask to speak to a lawyer if the police uh, demand that you provide a sample at a detachment, and if you're at the roadside and they make an approved screening device demand, just blow. That's the law. You're obliged to do it.
1: Yep, yeah. um, but. In circumstances where they are going to take your blood, they have to have grounds to do it. And so generally, if they're going to ask you for the evidentiary samples at the police station, they have to have the reasonable grounds to believe your ability to drive is impaired by alcohol. On top of that, to take a blood sample, they also have to have reasonable grounds to believe that you are uh, incapable of providing a sample or that it would be impracticable to obtain samples of breath. Yeah,
0: so it's a... It's a... There's an extra standard that's added there, so that's the reason that you you don't see it that often. But I've dealt with lots and lots of blood cases over the years. I mean, I've been doing this for since 1999.
1: Ever Uh, lost one, Paul?
0: I've never lost a blood case. You know what? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I I kept my win stats a secret for a long time, and the reason I did that was because I. I didn't. A, I you know, I'm. I'm not really superstitious. Uh, to some extent, I didn't want to jinx it. But more than anything, I didn't want to. Um, it
1: Seems tacky.
0: Yeah, it seems tacky. Oh ha
1: ha, it, never lost an impaired know, in the last ten I years. I know, I'm Paul Doroshenko. Thing, yeah, and yeah, a, like you're public a, enemy number one. Then
0: I know. Well, not just that. And I, I you know, I'm. I'm. I worry that it calls into um, question the viability of our justice system when you look at my win rate. Yeah. So yeah, as of August this year, uh, it will be ten years since I lost an impaired uh, or uh, overweight. It was ten years ago I lost an impaired driving case, and I started still, um,
1: still suffer from that one. It
0: freaks me out. Yeah, well, I suffer from it for lots of reasons, but and i not tell you why. But I it, think it, people
1: don't know though the suffering. You suffer either way, you, if you win or you lose as a defense lawyer. It's different. You still <laughs> suffer. I don't know. I still get depressed no yeah. matter what the outcome.
0: Yeah, I feel great for a few hours after I win. Then I get home that night and I, I get quite depressed. And then it takes a day or so before I'm okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, I still remember that one quite well. And, um, I, you know, I don't think I did anything tactically wrong in it. But I used to do 50 to 100 uh, trials I'd set oh my God. A, a year. I used to resolve like 200 criminal impaired driving cases between about 2002 and and uh, 2010, 2011. Um, and... Uh, you know, I would resolve most of them. I used to schedule three trials a week, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, in a different courthouse. And I would prepare, like, one or two of them, knowing one would fail. I'd pick the the one that was the least likely to proceed, and I wouldn't prepare. And I'd spend the weekend preparing the other ones. And, uh, yeah, I, I've lost, in my career, seven. Wow. I That's never, pretty good. I never lost a refusal. I've never lost blood. I've never lost either type of refusal in the criminal context. I've never lost blood. I've lost a couple O8s uh, and impaireds and uh, but you know things changed in 2008
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: when they when they introduced bill C2 and it increased the uh, obligation on the police to provide disclosure about the the breathalyzer, the approved instrument. And yeah. since then, you know, you and know all the problems of, yeah. that I found because I had those instruments and I took them apart and figured it out and for me it was like
1: as far as, like, Western <laughs> Canada, you're basically like the, don't be offended, grandfather of, of operational defenses. Uh,
0: maybe I am. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, you, when the IRP scheme came out, there was a shake-up. Like, a lot of guys, uh, defense lawyers who, who defended impaired driving cases, some of them became judges. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them just quit doing impaired driving cases. One or two just quit. They retired. Yep. Um and, um,
1: some of them are back now. Some of them
0: came back but, <laughs> yeah. um, because they, they completely dried up for a while. And, you know, I doubled down. I had those, uh, you know, the ASDs, and I explained the problems with the ASDs. And so we continued, you and me uh, in particular, continued to get a significant number of impaired driving cases. And we've, um, we've kept going. And we've ended up uh, meeting basically, you know, the people we think are the top impaired driving lawyers in the country. There's a couple in Alberta who are really good. Uh, Shannon and Ian, for example, and yes. uh and, and Tim. Uh, Tim don't, Tim's don't really good. Tim. Yeah, Tim's a great guy. Every
1: time he, I deal with a case in Alberta where I've never lost. Um I've never lost they, in Alberta yeah. either, you know. <laughs> this is <laughs> they, <almost> they always <laughs> say, God, you remind me of Tim Foster and I'm like, I know you mean that as an insult, but I take it as a compliment. Yeah,
0: no. The uh no, he's good. Um and uh and Ulrich uh in oh, yeah. Montreal and Stephen Biss uh, you know, we, mm-hmm. we we deal with all of these people. Uh, And they're lovely people, but there's, uh, you know, there's some really key people in in every province, basically, uh, who do it. And uh, the interesting thing for us is that, um, you know, we don't ever see the people from Manitoba or Saskatchewan.
1: I know, um, I keep thinking, like, like, you know, if, if things go to pot in BC and I can't make it here... Uh, I'm going to move to Brandon, Manitoba.
0: Yeah, Brandon, Manitoba. is no so driving many lawyer driving there. Well, they all and they seem have to,
1: so many cases. Yeah,
0: and everybody seems to plead guilty. And I, I mean, I, the, the law needs to be developed. And I used to get calls all the time uh, from lawyers in New Brunswick because they used to use the BAC Datamaster C. And, you know, you and I, we have three of them in the office. Um, you're the only one who has the Datamaster C. I've got a you know two BAC Datamasters. But the... Uh, uh i used to get calls from those new brunswick lawyers all the time just because of things on our website describing some of the issues with them and we well i was the one who revealed the problem with the five-way valve which um, ultimately led to that uh, Huge uh, inquiry in the lab and those emails about how many innocent souls have been convicted and so mm-hmm. forth. And now it's been replaced, of course. But
1: but now we replaced it with a fuel cell, so <laughs> no one innocent will be convicted. It's
0: actually frightening. It's so yeah. frightening what's in the intox, ECIR2.
1: It's but mostly air.
0: We should talk about that one day, but yeah, that's not that what we intended good. to yeah. talk about. We were talking about no, blood. Blood,
1: yeah. And so you've done a lot of blood cases, and then since I've been working um, with you, I've sort of come along and yeah. and done them, and they are incredibly difficult for the police to do correctly, incredibly difficult for the prosecution to prove, but also incredibly difficult for defense lawyers to know what to look for.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really, it, it's a different, it's a, a different way of coming at it. Yeah, Because
1: um, you have warrants. Yeah. And you have, um, you know, you have all this scientific procedure. And the disclosure you get on the blood is, generally speaking, not what you need. And yeah. so we've really had to develop the request for disclosure.
0: Yeah, and and that actually arose out of... Um, so about 10 years ago, I found that uh, I wasn't really getting anything out of um, the continuing legal education courses in Canada. Uh, you know, I'd go to these um courses with other lawyers and you know the criminal annual criminal course day-long course and you pay 800 bucks and you go there and You know, some of the lawyers there seem to be inspired by the things that people were saying. I just Mm -hmm. found that it wasn't really giving me any more information. It was just telling me what I already knew. Well, as
1: soon as you have like this niche and this area that you're, you know, really experienced in, you know the law, you know the cases. If an officer says something, your brain's cycling through, you know, this case, this case, this case, this this all happened there. Um, As soon as you're in that position, you're going to these conferences where people are, you know, at your level or below telling you what you already know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also found that there was nothing novel. There was nothing new. No, I mean, we are like, yeah. so
1: behind the eight yeah. ball in Canada for developing that. I, I, I don't want to
0: blame. I don't want to say that we're behind the eight ball. I think. I it's, mean, it's
1: we have a different structure this is, this for is, our legal
0: system. This is my thing. I basically concluded. Um, that it was like inbreeding all of us just talking about the same things and we weren't really coming up with any new ideas mm-hmm. so I started that's when I joined the uh, California DUI Lawyers Association and um, I started going to some of the uh, to conferences in the states and networking with lawyers in the states and of course the law is very different and there's lots of it's really not very useful but uh, then I joined the uh, the National College of DUI defense you I think you joined it yeah. first and then the DU... And then they kept
1: begging you to join the D U I Defense Lawyers <laughs> Association Well, you. there
0: was I think there was a reason it's I, I did you know because I'd been yeah. I've been advising actually about the BAC data master C I'd been advising lawyers right. in Washington for right. the longest time And They'd we were at a
1: conference once and we got you, you got like swarmed by lawyers who wanted to ask you about the data master Yeah that was
0: pretty funny yeah um the uh and uh but we we when we joined those uh those really intense smaller organizations with mm-hmm. the uh, with the top lawyers in them, and uh, you know, again, you've you've got the sort of the best minds in it. Mm-hmm. That's when we really started getting good things. There's there's a lot, I mean, you can yeah. go to conferences. They have big conferences in Las Vegas, and people like to go there and party. And there's yeah, 800,000 people, people,
1: and you end yeah. it end at two thirty, and you go lie by the pool the rest of the day. And
0: that's fine if you're a like a two year call lawyer. Uh, or if you, you know, run five impaired driving trip. if trials, you just want
1: to check <laughs> off your, I completed your, my I professional completed my development professional hours. Development,
0: but I, I, we went once to that one in Las Vegas, mm. and I didn't get anything out of it. But these ones that we go to that are more we intense. Got a tan. <laughs> did you get a tan? No, oh, I didn't get a tan. I don't, I don't, I don't go outside. I don't remember. All I know is you go in there, you you uh, you get your muffin at your break, uh, and you go back in, and you can't remember what the last speaker said. And most of the time, it's just, it's got more to do with um, um, motivational speaking than it does with actually learning anything because you can
1: win a DUI yeah
0: you can win a DUI what you got to do is win the voir dire the voir dire
1: um
0: pick the right jury in
1: the states is the jury selection
0: yeah so uh yeah those you know those big ones that are are um, for all the people who are dabblers um, you yeah. know, that's one thing but the uh, these you know more local groups that we go to have been very useful but we uh, and we we you know Kyla and I both presented in the states I presented in uh, in San Diego a few years ago and you presented in Chicago, Chicago. Um, and uh, so we got pretty in depth and and deeply involved with some of these groups, I've got mm-hmm. to thank Kyla for doing. I'm, I mean, I started I'm the, a like,
1: uh, Canada ambassador for the DUI Defense Lawyers Association. <laughs> so, if any Canadian DUI defense lawyers are listening, you must maybe,
0: speak with the ambassador in order well, to be.
1: No, just <laughs> contact me. I can put you in touch with the people to sign up for the organization. It's very valuable.
0: Yeah, there there are a uh, plug
1: for the DUI DLA.
0: Yeah, there are requirements though. You've got to yeah. run a certain number of trials and so forth. So the. Uh, yeah.
1: It was actually hard to meet the requirements to get in. With the IRP scheme, like I was looking at the form, I was like, I don't know if I will qualify to join this organization, even though all I do is impaired driving. Yeah,
0: well, IRPs didn't count, right? Yeah. You also run dozens of impaired driving cases every year, so criminal cases, so that uh, that matters. You also win. Almost every damn one, which freaks <laughs> well, no, freaks I'm me not. out. I, anyway. I'm the, I yeah. don't.
1: i not you. I don't have 10 years of. Yeah,
0: that's true. Well, you know, I've sometimes. I've been
1: practicing for 10 years.
0: So. There is some luck in there too, I think. <laughs> but, uh, I
1: helped you with some of them.
0: <laughs> well, you and I, you know, that's what I was about to say. Every time you and I have done one together, every impaired driving case that you and I have done together, we won. And those were some of the most brutal ones that we've had to do. Like I always imagine event. it like
1: those those WWE like wrestling tag team matches, yeah, know. you know, <laughs> like tap out. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I know. I think that too. Okay, your turn. Go.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, in any event, um, so but what we wanted to talk about is back tied to blood, and and that is that um, Kyla and I, you know, we, we won all our blood cases, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the reasons we won all our blood cases is because we deal with these groups and. In the United States, blood is taken very regularly. And so the the...
1: police will take it. I mean, and and in appalling circumstances, there was recently Mm. that, That that, well, there's the nurse who was was refusing to take the blood because she didn't think it was appropriate and the police arrested her for obstruction, for not taking it. There's another really disturbing one you can find on YouTube of officers who forcibly strapped a person down to a board and drew their blood from them while they were screaming at them not to. Fighting back, yeah. yeah. The, um, so that's why we shouldn't have blood testing well, here. That's,
0: maybe that's a good reason, but the uh, but you know what? I, I, I have so many problems with breath testing. We should talk about that one day. We're only talking yeah. about blood today because it's blood is on our minds. Um, the um, so there's so many American lawyers actually know a lot about the process of blood testing, blood drawing, blood, and we got to know them, and so that really upped our game because we were able to request. Disclosure on things that nobody else was requesting and it sort of blew also the... So the, in the
1: inherent competitiveness of lawyers, well, they're doing it, I can do it better. Yeah,
0: yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so we upped our game with our blood test requests and uh, I think we blew their minds in the, uh, in the RCMP lab that yep. we were requesting these things and oh yeah, okay, I guess we have to provide, that's called full disclosure.
1: You went and sat <laughs> in on a trial once just because you <laughs> happened to be in the courthouse and had to kill some time where one of the lab staff was testifying. Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. That was funny. I was just wandering around, and then I heard this person's name, and I walked in there, and I thought they were going to faint when they saw me walk in. That's... <laughs> yeah, but that was when I was revealing all those problems with the data master, and then there was we were making all those requests for the blood. And you,
1: you also, you know, I you did put per- on a bit of a show when you went in. You got on a notepad, you flipped the page loudly, you drew a line dramatically. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you're yeah, not well above that, a little stunt. Yeah, that
0: yeah, that uh, yeah, the person from the lab was just paged in to court and so I followed them in and just <laughs> after they were on the witness stand and it, um, the upsetting thing actually was watching the lawyer doing it because it was somebody who they who, who clearly didn't know what to ask and I was uh-uh. you know, upset about it but what are you going to do like I you, what are you going to do you, you can't
1: interfere th- with someone's right to counsel of no, choice no
0: and you get the lawyer you you get the lawyer you choose you know and whether or not they have that particular knowledge or skill about uh, blood or breath or whatever uh you get get the person you choose and it's unfortunate you also don't
1: know right like there's i'm not going to reveal who but you're going to know who i'm talking about with his little um thing where when you watch him you think maybe he doesn't know what he's doing but he knows Full well, what he's doing.
0: Oh yeah, you know, there's a colleague of ours who we mm-hmm. uh, we we won't refer to. He's a nice guy. He's a lovely guy, and you you. We just he's, don't want to spoil it. He's got a bit of a. Uh, he uh, does the bumbling fool thing for part of the trial. Yeah. And, and then all, all the of like a sudden in. he comes.
1: Incompetent.
0: Yeah. And then all <laughs> of a sudden he goes in for the kill, and it's just uh, you know. It's, like, it's,
1: oh wait, he it's, just it, won the trial. <laughs> yeah.
0: But he also uh, he also has issues that uh, he wants to argue that uh, make no sense to me, and uh, I don't know that they fly when oh, <laughs> they do. Who but knows? It, 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 important he's got the confidence of his clients and he succeeds most of the time
1: yeah uh, so maybe, I mean, maybe it, so. this is another lawyer who uses that
0: yeah I don't think so okay but well. uh, in any event I want to get back to it because we' are, we yeah, are uh, we're running out of time well into yeah. our our time here and we've got a lot to do so Kyla and I are headed off to Texas and we are going to be doing the training that people get to uh, become technicians in the lab testing mm-hmm. blood at uh, the University of Texas, Austin. Arlington. Arlington, yeah.
1: I wish it were Austin.
0: Yeah, Arlington, and um, we've, uh, it's not easy to get into this thing. First, it's tough to find the time to do it, because it's a it's a very intensive program. It's going to be a few days here. I think and we've had to do a bunch of pre-courses. Seven days straight. We, we've had a bunch of pre-courses to do. Yep. Uh, and they are long You have, days. like, certificates of completion done, of university courses. Yes, I haven't I've done been, mine yet. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to get on it because time's marching into the future. But the um, we'll uh, be the only people we know in Canada. There's only a handful of lawyers in the States because I think they only take 12 people into this program. Yeah. 12 they, a year I don't think they do it every year I know there was a couple of years that they didn't do it I'm pretty okay. sure uh, and we had trouble finding a time in our schedule to do it it's been a really um, mm-hmm. awkward and difficult thing and then uh, you know just to be lucky enough to sign up early enough to get in um, there's not going to be anybody in there who's a dabbler I think it's going to be all nope. people who are sort of uh, we probably know it's gonna the, most it's going to be intimidating
1: like to be around people who are that focused on impaired driving defense it's
0: no more than us
1: I guess I know, but, you yeah. know, we, we don't, you know, now because of where we have come because of IRPs in BC, we don't have this, you know, huge community like they do in the States of focused, impaired driving lawyers locally.
0: Yeah, but, you know, the, the skills that we have um, work in Canada. Uh, the skills that they have may work in the states. We have a you know a different legal scheme. Yeah. They're still I mean, testing be the a same day stuff. Of like
1: a, translating this to the jury session, yeah, yeah. it's going to be completely useless. Yeah, yeah.
0: Blood alcohol concentration is the same in both locations. It's the same mm-hmm. offense and everything, but the uh,
1: people's bodies are the same. They're just bigger in Texas.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah, in Texas. yeah. Well, uh you know, I have questions about the effect of body size, shape, and uh, gender and ethnicity, and certainly with respect to breath testing, but in any event. Um, so we're going to be doing it all. We're going to be using a grass, mm-hmm. gas chromatograph. We're going to be uh, actually drawing blood uh, and doing testing, testing uh, um, blood alcohol concentration versus breath alcohol concentration.
1: I kind of we're hope that we're going to we're gonna get a lab. little, like, free time to experiment because there's a couple things I want to try to see if they elevate readings.
0: You... Uh, experimented with a um, Intox- a data master. Well, it's owned by an, an Intoximeters now, but a data master DMT.
1: Was it the DMT? I thought it was the Intoxilizer Five Thousand.
0: No, it was a DMT. Oh, okay. It was Sorry. the DMT. You you were using the DMT in Montreal, remember? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I tricked it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: tricked it into accepting my mouth alcohol samples. Yeah,
0: well, it wasn't. I mean, but if you were an individual who had mouth alcohol you weren't trying to trick it i mean it's just the point is that they that the instrument didn't detect the mouth alcohol when it should have and that's probably the most advanced uh approved instrument in the country but
1: most advanced one out there and it's not perfect
0: you um i think have used more instruments than anybody i know you've used the dmt dmt
1: ecr2 intoxilizer what's the one 3000 you have
0: the Intoxilizer 5000. You've 5, used the 5000. You yep. You've used that one. D-
1: DAC Datamaster C. I've used the Intoxilizer 200. Um,
0: and then all the approved instruments,
1: and the ECIR. Not the IR-2, but the IR.
0: Yeah. Well, you used, Same an, thing. you used an ECR ir 2 but you've did, also yes. used an ECIR.
1: That was <laughs> perhaps illegal.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't matter. The point is it's been Broke done. into
1: it. The police <laughs> were right there. Yeah. He watched me do it. I think he was confused and didn't know what to do. How yeah. did she break into we, my instrument? To
0: <laughs> take over my machine and yeah. get it and reprogram it. to. Then <laughs> what's allow? he going to
1: tell me? I can't use it. Like, clearly uh, well, I know how. I <laughs> know how to use it.
0: Um, yeah, that was pretty entertaining. The um, We have some breathalyzer 900As in our office. Uh, I want
1: to get one up. Op- we got to get Grant in the office and turn it on. And- I've got
0: all the stuff. I've got the hydrochloric acid in the vials. I've got, you name it. You know, it would be interesting to set them all up and do a test. But of course, all of those old ones we have, none of them are properly calibrated. No, so but
1: the point is I want to th- operate it.
0: Just to see that it's functioning. Yeah, and to be able to add one more to your like 25 breath testing instruments that you've yeah. already operated. Well, we'll see. They might have something down in Texas that we could try. Cool. Um, we'll see what they've got. So anyway, so we're off to Texas and we're going to report back to you when we're done. Next week we'll be
1: broadcasting to you from Arlington, Texas. Will we? From Arlington? Yeah, we're we're going to have to record a podcast when we're down there. Okay. So we'll, you know. Bring a mic. We'll record something. It'll probably be the janky way, but that's okay.
0: We'll see what the sound is like.
1: We'll have lots to share about blood testing. So this is your teaser for more information about blood testing and blood analysis. You had other
0: teasers about other things that are coming up, and are those other things still coming up? You've got um, got a very famous... um, Very
1: famous marijuana activist who will be coming on shortly. You've
0: also got a uh, pretty famous uh, commentator on driving Mm -hmm. uh, from BC who's going to be coming on shortly, and a few other interesting people. I was thinking that you're probably going to be able to line up in the next little while. I've been sort of... um, less engaged in this because i felt like i was uh uh, ed mcmahon or a sidekick and uh, then so many people were reporting how much they enjoyed this podcast i thought gee i better step up my game and (laughs) lean forward to the mic and actually well yeah no i'm i'm I'm, you know in the very first podcast you you uh introduced me as your co-host and uh, i officially accept
1: Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Then uh, tune tune in next week for Driving Law with Kylo Lee and co-host, not reluctant co-host, but actual co-host, Paul Doroshenko uh, of Acumen Law Corporation next week, coming to you from Arlington, Texas, with the latest on blood testing.
0: And if you want to call us, 604-685-8889, Acumen Law Corporation, (laughs) VancouverCriminallaw.com.